Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor at Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Church, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 18. We finished up our study through the book of Philippians last week, and uh, we're going to start a different journey this week for the next 13 weeks. We're going to be doing a series called His Last Days, and it focuses primarily on the last four chapters of the uh, book of John. But today we're in John chapter 18. Now, Pastor Brian Chappell in his book, Holiness by Grace, he wrote about a teenage son who had rebelled against his parents for years, resulting in so much pain, so much embarrassment, so much discouragement that the mother's heart actually became hardened against her own child. And after one such incident of rebellion, the mother, she finally, she'd reached a breaking point. She, she just gave up, walked out of the room, left the young man sitting in the family room where he began to leaf through a family photo album and uh, the pictures of, of better days, happier days kind of filled him with sorrow, really with, with despair. He called his mother back into the room to look at one picture which showed him as a young child with his mother smiling at the little boy in approval in the photograph. And he said, Mom, I understand why you can't love me anymore. In the picture, hope fills your eyes as you look down at your little boy, but I dashed all your hopes, Mom. Please forgive me. And the mother's hardness broke. And she embraced her son in love. But what moved her were not the many protests of innocence year after year or the the fresh promises to, to do better. What she was moved by was his absolute brokenness and desperation. Well, today we find the Apostle Paul in a place of brokenness and desperation because when it's all said and done, he is going to hit rock bottom. His denials of Christ are going to bring him to a place of despair. And he's probably thinking, how can Jesus possibly love me after this? But you know, the old saying is true. When you're flat on your back, the only way to look is up. Peter would return to Christ. In fact, today's message, the message about his failure, which is the first in this series, really bookends very nicely with the last message in the series, which is all about Christ's restoration of Peter. But today our study is in John chapter 18, and it, it illustrates an unfortunate tendency. And that's the way that we, like Peter, often edge far too close to compromise. In fact, the big idea is that we never drift toward holiness. We drift toward unfaithfulness. And that's why it's vitally important for us to align our lives with the Word of God. Now, I'm going to be in John's Gospel for the next 13 weeks. It's a Gospel that can really be divided into two main parts. Part one focuses on Jesus' public ministry, his, his teaching, all the many miracles he performed. Part two 
records Jesus' private ministry and teachings with his disciples during his last few days, including Jesus' uh, arrest, his trials, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, all of which are going to be points of emphasis over the next 13 Sundays. And beginning here in John chapter 18, John's narrative really starts to speed up. Jesus and the disciples have departed from their Passover supper. They've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. But Judas leads a group of soldiers and religious leaders there to seize Jesus. Simon responds by taking a sword and striking off the ear of the, priest of the, uh, of the servant of the high priest. Of course, Jesus rebukes Peter for doing it. But then Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the high priest for trial. And what follows, beginning in verse 15, can really read like, like a story in three acts. Act number one, Peter was headed toward a falsehood. Look at verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Okay, so who was this other disciple that was with Peter? Some people think it was Lazarus. Some people think it was Nicodemus, maybe Joseph of Arimathea. Whoever it was that accompanied Peter was known to the Jewish authorities, had access to the court of the high priest, and brought Peter to the court to witness the proceedings. Now, it's most likely that this is the Apostle John, the one who's the author of this gospel. He's most likely the one that, that Peter was with as they followed Jesus to the court of, of Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the high priest. They were kind of a, a father-in-law, son-in-law duo, both serving as, as high priests together. Well, Peter hung back. Now, it could have been that the other disciple went in first to, to make sure that everything was safe. Or Peter might have been reluctant to go in, you know, maybe in part because of fear because I mean he'd been the one who'd cut off the ear of Malchus the servant to the high priest whatever the reason that the two were separated when the other disciple came back spoke to the servant girl to let Peter in it seems very clear that she already knew that he was a disciple and then she asked Peter if he was also one you aren't one of this man's disciples too are you I am not Falsehood number one. Now, what can you and I learn from this? Well, I think one of the things that we immediately learn is that our offenses, like Peter's first denial, can often come about quite unexpectedly. I mean, surely this, this servant girl didn't pose any kind of threat to Peter. All four of the Gospels tell us that the first challenge to Peter came from the one who would be the most unimportant person in this scenario, this, this young servant girl. It's interesting that her question was posed in such a way that she assumed Peter was going to say, no, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? But the other disciple was already known to her. So with that being the case, why didn't Peter just say yes? 
I mean, did it really matter to her how he answered? But you know, whether Peter's first denial was intentional or accidental, it demonstrates a very important lesson for us. Always be prepared to give a witness. In fact, years later, Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 would write this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as holy. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that is within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. So can you remember a time, maybe when you did something small, later it proved to be a bigger denial of Christ than you, you intended. I mean, maybe you missed an opportunity to, to witness, a, a chance to discuss your faith with someone, and, and it slipped away before you had a chance to do so. I, I recall a conversation, uh, it's been at least 20 years ago now, I had with a guy, we're standing outside of Kmart waiting for the store to open. The Holy Spirit was clearly prompting me to share my faith with this man. I intended to obey, but I delayed. Thinking, oh, maybe I need to establish some common ground first. Well, being such a sports lover, uh, I changed the topic of conversation to football. Quickly realized he was as a Chicago Bears fan. Uh, I pitied him for that, but you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, great, I'm making some progress. You know, he, he's warming up to me. Well, then a store employee came and unlocked the door and the man said, nice talking to you, headed off to the photo mat. And I felt awful. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, in not speaking up, not only had I been disobedient, but I had inadvertently denied my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, even though Jesus had foreseen Peter's denials, and, and, and even though Peter had promised, oh, I'll never do such a thing, Peter was not prepared to testify for Christ. Now, you know the old adage, you know, uh, people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. Well, in Peter's case, and often in our own, you know, a, a failure to plan to witness is a plan for failure in our witness. Of course, Jesus wasn't at all surprised by, by Simon Peter's failure, because remember, he'd already predicted it. A prophecy contained in all four of the Gospels. John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter declared, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Well, likewise, when we fail, you know, it's no surprise to the Lord. Yes, our failures, our sin, our rebellion, they grieve the Holy Spirit. But we need to remember that God's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. In fact, he, he sees everything. Eternity past, eternity future. He sees all of it in one big eternal now. And so God knows ahead of time what we're going to do, even if we don't. Now, here's something else that God knows. He knows that the enemy is going to do his best 
to try to trip us up. That temptation to sin is sometimes the result of demonic influence, of spiritual warfare. That's why he warned Peter in Luke chapter 22, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. You know, just as a little bit of yeast will leaven an entire loaf of bread, you know, that first act of sin can really set us on a path of downward spiral, just like Peter, if we're not careful. But here's something that you need to know. The Lord is our defender. Jesus is on our side before and after our failures. You see, after Jesus had warned Simon of Satan's intentions, he adds in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, note that Jesus didn't say, if you deny me, I am done with you forever. You know, or like an angry father, boy, you have done messed up. I got no use for you. See, the Lord foresees our failures, and he has a plan to restore us if, if we will turn to him in repentance and faith. So despite your sin, do not let your faith falter. Trust in him. Trust in his grace. Trust in his mercy. Trust in his forgiveness. Because if we turn back to him, his Holy Spirit will guide us moving forward because his faithfulness never fails. So in Act 1, Peter was headed toward a falsehood. Sadly, the story doesn't end there because in Act 2, Peter was headed toward a fire. Look at verse 18. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. Now we're going to skip to verse 25. The intervening verses there actually describe what was going on at the same time as Jesus was being illegally tried. It says in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Falsehood number two. Now, you know, when we study the Gospels, I mean, we find out early on that Simon Peter was often rash. He was impulsive. We know that. He was known for his missteps, for his emotional outbursts, for his errors. But, you know, none of those blunders carried the emotional magnitude of his denials of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Maybe it's Peter's frailties, maybe it's his human qualities that make him the disciple that's most relatable to all, to us. Because we can be rash, we can be impulsive, we have missteps, failures, emotional outbursts. We totally get Simon Peter. And we probably get the, the sense of self-accusation, the, the distress that he felt afterwards. So here's Peter in the courtyard. 
an unusually active courtyard. Uh, I'm ordinarily the home of the high priest Annas and Caiaphas, who apparently lived in very close proximity to one another, would have been quiet, would have been, been asleep by this time. But tonight, despite the timing of Passover, and despite the prohibition of trials being held at night, there was night court going on. Jesus' illegal trial. Now verse 18 says it was cold. See, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and crucified in the beginning of spring after winter's grip had really begun to loosen. Well, in Israel, the early springtime nights can actually be very cold. I've actually been in Israel in, in April, and I, I can testify to that. So as a result, the servants and the officers had made a fire. But you see, the fact that Peter and John were even in the courtyard at all is, to say the least, remarkable. Because there, around the fire were the very same servants and officials referenced earlier in the chapter. Verse 3, verse 12. The ones who earlier had been sent to the Garden of Gethsemane to apprehend and arrest Jesus. The very ones who had caused the disciples to scatter. But I want you to notice something. That Peter's disastrous progression toward his denials, it really it mirrors our own steps to our failures. I mean, step one, Peter followed from a distance. Step two, he stood with the soldiers, warming himself up, not just to, to fight off the, the chilly air, but unintentionally warming himself up for the second and third denials. And then step three, the other gospel writers describe Peter sitting at the fire, getting cozier with the proverbial glow of temptation. You see, occasionally temptation can blindside us. We don't see it coming. There's no warning. But more often than not, we follow Peter's progression. We approach sin cautiously at first, but we're still approaching it. Then casually. And then before we even realize it, we have gotten way too close to the fire. Case in point. The Christian's view on alcohol. Does the Bible teach moderation? Does it teach abstinence? I've heard strong arguments for both positions. But regardless of where you stand on that particular matter, what the Bible does very clearly teach is that drunkenness is sin. There is no debate on that point. But you see, with this, this prohibition of drunkenness in mind, some Christians, they don't even follow from a distance, you know, outside the courtyard or stand near the soldiers. Some just jump right to step three and cozy right up to the proverbial fire. And so some Christians will actually drink as much as they think they can possibly drink without actually getting drunk. Close, but not quite. <laughs> That's obeying the letter of a command, but not the spirit of it. But you see, in, in adopting that sort of mindset, how many of us actually find ourselves flirting with sin instead of, as Peter said in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, avoiding the very appearance of evil. 
Wise thing to do is to avoid Peter's pitfalls, to remove ourselves from situations that we know will tempt us to compromise our faith. Sometimes drivers are pulled over by law enforcement, genuinely have no clue that they were exceeding the speed limit. Hello, officer. Was I speeding? Uh, let's be honest, though. I mean, most of the time, we pass by numerous signs of warning, sometimes with the proverbial lights flashing, giving us signals of a way out when we're tempted to violate God's commands, His regulations. And we ignore the signs, and we get really cozy next to the fire. Listen, Christian. God wants to help prevent you from falling. Listen to Jesus' words to Simon Peter the night before. Hey, Satan wants to sift you, buddy. Just like that. I mean, God's laws and examples in Scripture give you fair warning. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, whoever thinks he stands must be careful that you don't fall. He follows that by saying, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. So outside the courtyard, Peter was headed toward a falsehood. Inside the courtyard, he's headed toward fire. Now in Act 3, we see that Peter was headed toward a failure. Look at verse 26. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose, pe whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. So first, Peter drew near to the soldiers. He stood near them, sat with them, then talked with them to the point that uh, they detected a Galilean accent or, or, or he showed his face enough to be recognized. Peter had become so careless and comfortable in his closeness with sin that it led to his third denial, falsehood number three. Come on, Peter. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to avoid sin without giving it a head start. At the Battle of Gettysburg, a Confederate officer reported to General James Longstreet, the commanding officer, that he couldn't bring up his men again. Longstreet answered sarcastically, never mind then. Just let them stay where they are. The enemy's going to advance, and that'll spare you the trouble. Folks, when our enemy advances, let's not spare him the trouble. Solomon wrote in, in Proverbs 4.23, to guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Some of your translations will say the wellspring of life. Now that word in the Hebrew text for heart, it actually means the operational center of your being, your innermost self. And so he's teaching us to take precautions to protect yourself. I mean, if your text message, the messages that you're passing between you and a, and, a, and a coworker or maybe a spouse's friend become flirtatious, it is time for you to delete that contact from your phone or computer. 
Oh, if you like to talk dirty when you're around your friends, get new friends. If you cannot be a positive influence on those people and instead let them influence you into ungodly behavior, find new friends. If you struggle with internet pornography, then invest in filtering services like Covenant Eyes that will block those images and those sites from your phone or your computer. If your tendency is to gossip or to run down a coworker or a fellow church member, maybe it's time to move that person to the top of your prayer list for you to start praying for them instead of gossiping about them for you to become part of the solution and not contribute to the problem. You see, when Simon Peter went to that courtyard and when he cozied up to the fire, he, he was, in a sense, following Jesus, but he wasn't following in obedience. You know, maybe he was following in curiosity to see what was going to happen to Jesus, not being courageous enough to actually lay down his life for Jesus as he as promised. Or... I mean, maybe Simon Peter was arrogant enough to actually think that he wouldn't fall. I mean, after all, he didn't seem to notice that he had already denied Christ twice. D did he forget what Jesus had said? The warning that Jesus had given him only hours before? And yet, according to Matthew's account, the disciple who declared that he would never deny Christ started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Matthew 26, 74. And Luke chapter 22, his account says, immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus turned and looked straight at him. I can't help but wonder, was it a look of condemnation, disappointment? Was it a look of compassion? Were the eyes of the Lord full of hurt, sorrow, pain? You know, none of the gospel writers even tell us. Just that his locked gaze coupled with the rooster's crowing proved too much for Peter and he went out and wept bitter and broken over what he had done. Back in 2018, almost uh, six years ago now, Christy and I were privileged enough to make a trip to the Holy Land and let me tell you, anytime you're walking in places where Jesus has walked, there is something that happens. It affects you in a both personal and, and powerful way. But one of the most chilling moments I had in Israel came at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. I had just seen a, a dungeon-like cell where Jesus would have been held the night of his illegal trial. And when I emerged into that courtyard where Peter had denied Christ, I actually heard a rooster crow. Now, truth be told, it was probably a recording that was designed to, to be broadcast periodically just for effect. But let me tell you, the effect was profound. I mean, chills up and down my spine because I knew 
I was not innocent either. What grief must have racked Simon Peter when he realized what he had done. But it was too late. Too late for recollections of the previous night's conversation. Too late to try to resist temptation now. It's done. And therefore, therein lies the, the, the common ground that we share with Peter. Too much, too little, too late. Do we resist our struggles with temptation? Which, in a sense, results in a fixed gaze from the Holy Spirit of Christ in our hearts. The, the echo of a rooster crowing. So what are the implications for us in this account of Simon Peter's dismal failure? You know, we might be pretty quick to wag a finger of disapproval at Peter, but, you know, we're really forced to ask ourselves, how many times have we denied Christ? You know, failure to witness because of you know, maybe fear of other people's opinions or fear of ridicule, fear of mistreatment, or failure to witness just because we don't think we have the time to invest in a new relationship. No, we, we probably don't deny Christ the way Peter did. But you know, our, our actions, our words, don't always truly reflect our confession of Jesus the way they should. Now, why is that? What causes that? I think sometimes our denials may be rooted in confidence in self instead of confidence in Christ, that pride prevents us from admitting our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. And that can lead to some really dangerous territory. I mean, and the person who, like Peter, defiantly says, oh, I would never deny you. That's the most likely candidate to crash and burn. So humility is key. I think sometimes, like Peter, it's us being all too willing to stand way too close to the fire. You know, just kind of skirting the edges of what's inappropriate. And in our legalism, coming as close to sin as we possibly can without actually embracing it. Or maybe we just fail to identify fear or, or self-preservation or peer pressure, those things that can really bring compromise in our lives. Or sometimes we just forget to ask the Lord to grant us the courage and the wisdom and the strength to stand strong in our faith, to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. Christians, when the opportunity to share Jesus arises, what are you going to do? Are you going to pretend not to be his? Or are you prepared? Are you ready to give a defense, to confess your faith in Christ to those people that you meet? So what are some proactive steps we can take right now to prepare ourselves to give a defense of our faith, to make a full confession of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I'm gonna give you four steps. Not a comprehensive list, just starters. Number one, rehearse. Write down the story of your testimony. It didn't have to be elaborate, just what your life was like before Christ, 
how he saved you, what your life is like now. And then practice. Rehearse sharing that story with, with friends or family members in order to prepare yourself for those opportunities that you'll get to share that story with lost people. So rehearse, then research. Get studied up on, on some other, other methods other tools that you can use for witnessing. In fact, in September, we're going to have a workshop, a, an evangelism workshop that, that gives you some skills, some knowledge about how to have gospel conversations with people. But in the meantime, do some research on your own or research information that can help you defend the Christian faith. If you don't know where to look, talk to me. I'll set you off in the right direction. After we research, then we remember. Okay, we remember that God is ever-present, that he at any moment can, spiritually speaking, lock eyes with us the way Christ did with Peter. Now, when he does that, will his gaze reflect approval or disappointment? So remember that he's with us, but then rely. If he is ever-present, if he's always with us, then rely on that presence. And remember that God is all-powerful, that he is truthful. Rely on him to give you the strength and the wisdom to escape in times of temptation. Rely on him to, to help arm yourself with his word, just as Jesus did in his time of temptation in the wilderness in, in Matthew chapter 4. Believer, the closer we get to sin, the harder it gets to turn around. But it's never too late. But what steps do you need to take right now before your rooster crows? You know, no matter how colossal our, our, our failure might be, how badly we stumble, how much our sin disappoints. That should never be a roadblock to restoration. No matter how dismal the failure, Christ waits with open arms of forgiveness and restoration. Doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've tried to run away from him, he is always waiting for you with arms of forgiveness. And you see that forgiveness is free. All you have to do is ask him, and he will forgive and forget. You see, God says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, that for those who place their trust in him, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. That means that he willingly chooses not to hold our sin against us. That's a free gift. It's the most amazing gift that anyone ever offered us. The gift of forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. Why? Why would anybody refuse such an amazing gift? If you're here today and you've never made that decision to commit your life to Christ, there is no better time than right now. Understanding something. That God loves you. Yes, he's holy, he's perfect, he's just. He can't have anything to do with sin. But he loves you. And his mercy, his grace, his love 
are all evident in the gift of His Son Jesus. He loved us so much that He made a way to fix our sin problem. Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that we could have relationship with God, so that we could be made right with Him, justified in His eyes. I've said this before, but the word justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when God looks upon you, he doesn't see the sinner anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. For more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.